It'll be all Greek to New York tomorrow as the annual Greek Independence Day Parade makes its way through Manhattan's Fifth Avenue. This year's event celebrates the 190th anniversary of Greek independence from Turkish rule. The parade's a city tradition dating back to 1938. It found a home on Fifth Avenue in 1951. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're exploring all things Greek from ancient literature to the cuisine. Glad you're with us. We begin this morning with a story of Greek immigration to New York City. Christos Ioannidis is a professor and the director of the Center of Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies at Queens College. Professor Ioannidis, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. When did Greeks first start to immigrate to the United States and more specifically New York City? Well, they started the Greeks started arriving in in large numbers. Uh, I'm talking of, uh, we're talking about the mass migration in the 1880s, 1890s, when the other uh, Mediterranean and European groups were coming to the United States. But uh, there were smaller groups that uh, arrived in the United States uh, earlier, even uh, before the American Revolution. And they settled in, uh, in Florida, if you, <laughs> if you believe. And, uh, but it was a small group. And they settled in um, St. Augustine, Florida, where the first uh, school was established there. This was in the 18, uh, in the 1750s. But the mass migration in the United States and New York started in the 1890s. And from the 1890s to the 1920s, when we have the restrictions on immigration, we have the formation of the Greek community uh, in the sense that uh, about half a million came, which is a remarkable number considering that the population of Greece was, at the time, was three and a half, four million. What drove Greeks to America in the first place? A variety of reasons. The main reason is, uh, of course, what drove the other groups that came from uh, Europe at the time, Europe and the Mediterranean, like the Italians, of course, and then and the Irish, the Irish a little earlier. But primarily it was uh, the American dream, the economic reasons. Greece was a very poor country, recovering from uh, conflicts and wars, mainly with uh, uh, the Ottoman Empire first and uh, what succeeded the Ottoman Empire, Turkey. The story of Queens is often called a little Greece here in New York City. When did Greeks first start to settle there? Well, I would say that uh, they, uh, they were late comers in the sense that most Greeks settled in other, because our focus is New York. Most Greeks in the 10th, 20s, 30s, they settled in other areas of New York. Many of them settled in Brooklyn, and in fact, uh, uh, because of the large number of Greeks in Brooklyn, in Greece, if they wanted to say that someone is, uh, 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 someone is Greek in America, they say in a Brooklyn, in a Brooklyn mean he's from Brooklyn. But also in the New York, in, in Manhattan, many Greeks settled in the 8th Avenue, around Avenue, Avenue where they, they had a, there were a lot of famous Greek restaurants for, that they were patronized for the, from the Broadway uh, the shows, uh, late night shows at night. And also many Greeks settled in Queens and Flushing. Uh, uh, so uh, this is the general settlement pattern. Astoria became a place of destination after the Second World War, 
And I would say it was in the 80s that uh, had the largest uh, population, and we can call Astoria a Greek town, literally, because the center of Astoria, we can say from uh, the main uh, boulevards, uh, Dietmars Boulevard, Steinway, Broadway, and all the side streets uh, were Greek neighborhoods. How different would you say today's generation of Greek Americans is compared to the previous generation? in Astoria? There is a difference because they are born here and therefore they are acculturated. They, um, language, of course, is a very important characteristic in, in ethnicity, regarding ethnicity. And I would say in Astoria, still the Greek language prevails, but the challenge is for the other areas in the United States where there are no Greek uh, combat Greek neighborhoods and uh, schools to preserve the Greek language, and this is the greatest challenge in the Greek community. But as far as Astoria's concern, is uh, still, we can call it a Greek town, even though the lack of migration from the United States and the upward mobility, you see this is the price of success, if you wish, uh, has led many Greeks, like other ethnic groups, to move from Astoria to the suburbs, to Whitestone, to, and to Long Island. That's where you are. That's where I am. The movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding tells <laughs> I the, knew that you were Yeah, going I'm sure you knew I was going there. Well, this movie tells the story of a young Greek woman who falls in love with a non-Greek, and of course she struggles to get her family to accept him. How true to life is that movie? Well, uh, that movie was not very popular in Greece, but it was very popular here. Because in Greece they saw it as really stereotyping uh, the Greeks. But we have to see, put this, place this movie in the broader perspective. I think its success is found in the fact that almost every other ethnic group uh, could identify with this, with this movie. So I would say that uh, while there, are, um, uh, there is a change in Greek-American community, the Greek immigrant that came from Greece uh, and is, is represented by the patriarch, Mr. Portokalos, uh, there are great similarities. That was the mentality, the tradition, the customs, uh, the resistance for the, his daughter to marry a non-Greek. But I would say the, uh, the community is changing because we live in a, the multicultural environment in New York that affects us all. And it will, it's in with this context of, uh, of the diversity that the Greeks are able to make their own contribution, I would say. A lot of people associate Greeks with owning diners. Is that a fair perception? Uh, it is a fair, very fair perception in the sense that the Greeks started owning diners uh, since the time they settled in the United States and started moving up, starting their own small business. And diners was, uh, was one area that the Greeks excelled. There is a social explanation for this. But it is, this is correct because they realize they are, Greeks are they're entrepreneurial minds. They are, uh, they are merchants. Since ancient times, the Greeks were merchants. They were settling all over the world. And uh, the diners, the diner is a enterprise, is a business that is, uh, provides a very hard, uh, very hard job, but provides a, a good living for the family. 
and of course uh, promotes also the Greek cuisine and the Greek food. Of course, today you can say you go to a Greek diner and the menu is like a dissertation. <laughs> but this is part of the Greek success and the ingenuity because they realize that along with the Greek food, they can offer anything that the average American uh, would like. Dr. Ioannidis, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it too. Thank you. Christos Ioannidis is a professor and the director of the Center of Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies at Queens College. Okay. When you come to my house and I cook for you. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, that might be a problem. What's the problem? I had the best cook in the family, tell you. Oh, I did, didn't I? Twice. Okay, then. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, yeah. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He don't eat no meat. No, he doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I make lamb. When it comes to Greek food, souvlaki is perhaps the most popular dish and probably one of the only ones I can pronounce. Ithaca Restaurant on Manhattan's Upper East Side prides itself in serving up authentic Greek cuisine. I recently headed down there to learn more about Greek eats. My name is George Hedgeparaskivis, and I'm the manager here at Ithaca Restaurant. First of all, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation. You just said it, but say it again slowly yes, for me. Hedgeparaskivis. Hedgeparaskivis. Yes. Did I get that right? Correct. You got it right. <laughs> I mean, it's a really fun uh, uh, name to go, you know, talk about. We have a lot of nice conversations about my last name. So when we talk about authentic Greek cuisine. What are we talking about specifically when we talk about the authentic part of it? Well, we're talking about the traditional uh, Greek cuisine when we say authentic uh, from the uh, roots. Um, A lot of the dishes even coming from ancient Greek times as they were transformed, uh, you know, through the centuries. And also, um, uh, I guess there has been a little influence as general Mediterranean, but I think uh, uh, talking about traditional Greek is Greek food that started from the ancient Greek times. What are some of the most traditional Greek foods? Well, the main traditional foods uh, has a base of lamb because uh, back in the old times, uh, lamb was the main uh, staple and uh, uh, dish. So a lot of the dishes that we have uh, would be lamb for the meats and fish, uh, which was another you know main ingredient since uh, Greece is surrounded I would say 90% uh, by sea, and the islands too, of course, which are a couple of hundred, uh, you know, islands. What kind of fish are you mainly working with? Uh, We're working with bronzino, or bronzini as it's called, uh, which comes uh, overnight from uh, the Mediterranean, and also orata, which is the uh, American equivalent of the dorad, uh, or dorado. Uh, Also, we have uh, red snapper and striped bass. I know that you also have octopus on your menu, right? Yes, yes, and uh, everybody loves our octopus uh, because I guess my father's secret ingredient of preparation, I would say, in marina- marinating, uh, everybody loves that. So I guess I can't ask you about the secret ingredient being that it's secret? Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, well, you know, my dad is the, uh, uh, the keeper of that secret. <laughs> Your dad did start this restaurant, right? Yes, yes. We started uh, back in 93 in the village, uh, in the West Village on Barrow Street, 48 Barrow Street. And we, uh, after we lost the lease uh, there in 2001, we found this location in the Upper East Side, 2002. 
So getting back to the octopus, for someone who's never had octopus, what does it taste like? What does it feel like? It doesn't have very uh, a strong fishy taste, I would say. It has a nice aroma, and uh, it's pretty tender considering, you know, it's a mollusk, and after it's cooked, it's very tender. And the juices, plus the olive oil and the way it's charcoal grilled, uh, gives it uh, a nice, fresh kind of uh, sea, sea taste, you know, but without any fishy smell. Are there seasonings that you use that are very Greek? Uh, yes, I would say the main uh, seasoning and ingredient would be the oregano. That kind of, uh, with the olive oil, gives uh, one of the main uh, tastes in uh, the food. I have to say, George, that if I were here looking at this menu and I were going to order... I would feel a little nervous that I, I couldn't pronounce most of what's on this menu. So help me out with some of these pronunciations. Yes, it's a real tongue twister for a lot of people to figure out how things are pronounced. Right, so let's go start here at the entrees. Well, moussaka I know, pasticcio I know, but some of these other ones, like this one, for instance, how do you pronounce that? Paidakia, arnisia. Paidakia is the chops, and, and arnisia is lamb. So, lamb chops. And what about this one here? Oh, kota sta karvuna. Kota is a chicken. And karvuna is the uh, charcoal. So, when you say kota sta karvuna, uh, char uh, broiled uh, chicken. I would struggle if it wasn't my, you know, my main uh, language. Uh, it's, I think it's, uh, you know, quite difficult. You have to spend some time on the word and kind of look at it a couple times. What's your favorite item on the menu? Um, I like the arni juvetsi, which is uh, lamb juvetsi. It's uh, cooked in a clay pot with orzo pasta and a light tomato sauce. And uh, it's a very popular dish and uh, something that you don't find uh, here in New York. I guess preparation is also something that makes it authentic. You mentioned a clay pot. Yes, yes. It's, uh, as we say, the traditional uh, kind of way that it used to be cooked in the clay pot. Uh, and they used to put it in a type of an oven that used uh, wood that would become a, a charcoal. And then they would put the clay pot on top and it would cook in the clay pot. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about desserts because I know that you have some amazing desserts on this menu as well. Some of which, again, I can't pronounce. Everybody knows the baklava. And, uh, you know, we'll go on and explain in, uh, some other ones which are not that well known. Such as? The galactobureko, which is another tongue twister, I would say, which is a type of a milk custard um, with the phyllo. Uh, the phyllo, you know, thin layers of uh, flour. Um, another one would be the lukumades. Lukumades are, the, I would call them the Greek donuts or uh, uh, puffs that are uh, drizzled with uh, honey and crushed walnuts. And when does the breaking of the plates come in? Oh, the breaking of the plates. I mean, that usually happens uh, later at night. And after a couple of ouzo, uh, the ouzo, I guess uh, probably a lot of people don't know it, but it's, it's a kind of uh, a licorice-tasting uh, grappa, which, uh, you know, after the third or, or so little glass, you kind of feel the urge of breaking things. George, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm happy to have you here. George Hedjiparoskovis is the manager of Ithaca Restaurant on Manhattan's Upper East Side. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. 
Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. Greek heritage will be on full display during tomorrow's Greek Independence Day parade in Manhattan. We're getting a head start on that celebration this morning by immersing ourselves in Greek culture. At the St. Demetrius School in New York City, students take lessons in Greek language and culture every day. Cityscape's Marlene Chin visited the school in where else? Astoria, Queens. The St. Demetrius School is built like a castle. It has big rounded windows and dome turrets project out from the top of the structure. The school stands out in this enclave of small houses and storefronts in Astoria. The interior looks like a typical school. Students' papers and artwork are tacked onto bulletin boards. Trophies are displayed behind locked showcases. But upon closer look, it becomes clear that much of the writing is in Greek. Newspaper clippings recording school events are all in Greek. St. Demetrius School places a heavy emphasis on Greek culture. In fact, they say they're the only Greek-American school of its kind. Students must be Greek Orthodox to attend, and in addition to standard academic subjects, Greek language and culture is taught daily. Through the school, we're able to teach them the language, the culture, the dance, the religion, so that they can carry on our tradition. Otherwise, what will happen is eventually um, we'll, we'll live in a society that's just, I guess, Americanized. Anastasios Koulormanis is the supervising principal of St. Demetrius. Because Greece is so far away from us, this is, this is something that we try doing to hold on to our mother country so that when the kids go back to Greece, rather than going as tourists, they go back as Greeks. Kali Konstantinidis is a senior at St. Demetrius and has been here since pre-K, except for the year she spent at Townsend Harris, a public school in Queens where she sometimes found herself writing assignments for her Spanish class in Greek. Even in a diverse environment, Callie says she was drawn to other Greek students. I didn't connect with the other kids as much as I connected with the Greek kids. You just have that connection with them. Like, I can't even describe it. You, like, pick out the Greek kids. Like, I would know she's Greek, he's Greek. Like... Callie says St. Demetrius places a strong emphasis on morals and ethics, and these themes are present in many of their assignments. One of the poems we studied last year was by Constantine Kavafis. Um, it's called Thermopiles or Thermopylae in English, and it basically talks about, like, standing up for your beliefs. These are the type of lessons that they emphasize. Like, you're not just studying poetry. Like, they're trying to teach you, like, morals and ethics. I'm teaching Greek language, Greek literature, Greek history, and civilization. Rita Santillas has been teaching at St. Demetrius for 35 years and says it's her second home. Helping students connect with their roots is the part of teaching Rita says she finds most gratifying. I love uh, to teach literature and, of course, language and grammar, uh, but I love literature and of history, of course. And I'm so proud when students, they sit up at the map and they say, oh, this is the place of our parents, this is the place of our grandparents. And uh, that makes me feel very nice. St. Demetrius senior Kali Constantinidis says the school community is like an extended family. You have that close relationship with your teachers. Like Miss Dila taught my mom, and she has my younger brother that is also at this high school. And like the teachers, they watch you grow up, so you're very close with your teachers. And I know that I'm going to keep in touch with a lot of them, like even when I leave. Kali will be valedictorian at her high school graduation this June. For Cityscape, I'm Morlene Chin. Walter Blanco is all about ancient Greek literature. Blanco is a professor at Lehman College here in the Bronx. He taught himself to read ancient Greek and joins us now to talk more about his passion for Greek. Professor Blanco, welcome to Cityscape. Nice to be here. 
first of all, you taught yourself Greek, right? You didn't take classes. You taught yourself. I took a one uh, semester, one summer semester, six-week course as a graduate student uh, to satisfy an ancient uh, language requirement. In those days, that was still required. I don't know whether it still is. But um, I didn't do anything with it for 12 or 13 years. Yeah, I was also uh, going to say six weeks is not going to teach you a language. No, it's not. <laughs> teach you how to decline a couple of verbs and uh, so forth. But um, no, it doesn't doesn't teach you much. It just satisfies a requirement. I didn't really get into it until, oh, as I say, 13 or so years later. When it became an obsession, really, um, I, um, I just fell in love with it. I had to study Greek, read Greek um, every day for uh, years. What turned and, you on to Greek literature, and what inspired you to learn the language? I think, oddly, I was, I was turned on at first by the, um, by the type, uh, by the typography. Uh, Greek script, printed script, is very beautiful. Uh, the first time I saw it, when I was a little boy of of seven. Um, I I was just enchanted by it, although I couldn't make head or tail out of it. I think that was the first hook. I wanted to get into that. I wanted to, to, to decipher this, this beautiful script. It stuck with you all of those years. It did. I, I was taking uh, out the trash one day in, in our apartment building in the Bronx when I was about seven years old. That would have been 1951. When I found a bag full of books. Uh, there were Loeb Classical Library books and other books. As you may know, the Loeb Classical Library texts have Greek and, or Latin on one side and um, uh, English on the other page. I was absolutely fascinated by these things, although I didn't understand them. Um, but um, I kind of decided then and there that I was going to spend the rest of my life understanding these books. So how um, old were you then when you started to teach yourself the Greek language? I guess I was 37, so it would have been a full 30 years later. And how did you teach yourself Greek? I got a big dictionary, Liddell Scott Jones, uh, doorstopper of a book, uh, a Greek grammar, a, a Homeric dictionary, um, and a copy of the Iliad in the Oxford Classical Text Series, and read it word by word. I looked up every single word I didn't know, which was 99.9% of the words. And, of course, you forget words. So if you, I still have the text um, that I did this with, so it's completely interlineated with marginal notes. Uh, it's, um, it's a very weird artifact of the early days of my Greek study. Um, and I went through the Iliad in about a year. Um, then I read it again, and then I read it again. The third time was a charm because by then I, I could make sense of it. I went on from there to the Odyssey, uh, did it the same way, then Herodotus, then Thucydides, and then I read Drama. After a while, I wanted to have something to show for all this work. Um, so I made a translation of Herodotus, who really called to me. Um, Why? Uh, he was the first person we know of who left a, a written record um, of his attempt to understand uh, the known world of his time. Now, do you only read Greek, or can you speak Greek as well? 
I can chant uh, the Iliad. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can read it aloud. There aren't too many speakers of ancient Greek anymore. But um, I, if, if I, when I go to, uh, to Athens, I can make sense of the street signs. I can read Greek newspapers a little bit. Uh, the vocabulary is still there, although naturally the meanings of the words uh, have changed a great deal over time, and the, the grammar has, has changed also. What is your um, favorite Greek word? I guess historia, which has given us our history. A historian in a Herodotian sense is, uh, is an inquirer, is somebody who does research. Um, looks into things, wants to find out about things. That's you, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's Herodotus anyway. <laughs> I think that's why I like him so much. How long did it take you to learn to read Greek? About 10 years. Wow. Um, and, you know, I read it fairly well now, uh, but uh, when I go, when I revisit texts that I haven't seen for a few years, I need to bring my dictionary with me. For someone who says, and excuse the pun, this is all Greek to me. <laughs> what would you say to someone like that to say, you know what, give it a try, give it a read? Oh, I'd say get into it. I wouldn't want to be responsible for persuading any young person out there to dedicate his or her life to the study of Greek. Uh, but it won't do you any harm, uh, you know, so long as uh, you, you keep your, your, your head up, look about you and see uh, other things and, and, and always try to to uh, bring what you learned about the ancient society to bear on what's going on now. Professor Blanco, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Walter Blanco is a literature professor at Lehman College here in the Bronx. He translates ancient Greek texts. Professor Blanco fell in love with Greek as a boy, but for Riverdale resident Nina Habib Spencer, who is part Greek, appreciation for the culture came later when she was a junior in high school. When I was a little girl my mother would sometimes point out famous people who were Greek. This was meant to increase my pride in my heritage. Nikos Kazantzakis, the author, Michael Dukakis, the governor, Nana Musuri, the singer, Konstantino Kavafi, the poet. Somehow, the more letters in these people's names, the more pride I was meant to feel. Demosthenes, Socrates, Hippocrates, Aristotle, Archimedes, Thucydides, the list of Greeks, both ancient and modern, who made significant contributions to the world is enormous. And yet, as an American child, and I identified myself as such, I had little interest in a land that lay across an ocean, dotted with a thousand islands, filled with people who spoke a language that was mostly foreign to me. Though my mother is from Greece, she didn't hang a blue and white flag from the front door or surround herself with other Greek people to practice her native tongue. Once she left Greece, she left. She had a few Greek friends, but immersed herself in American culture, learned to speak English perfectly, and, like many Greeks, married someone who wasn't. I never went to Greek school, never dated Greek boys, never spoke Greek at home, except in moments of anger when a few choice words in Greek are useful. I wasn't baptized into the Orthodox Church as a baby, and I didn't have a big family of aunts and cousins force-feeding me galactoburiko. For a long time, I didn't identify with any particular culture at all. Instead, I was an observer on the edge of my friends' culturally distinct immigrant family circles, Korean, Chinese, Jewish, German, Italian... I watched with wonder as their parents celebrated every holiday in the traditions of their ancestors and spoke only their native languages in their homes. I was thankful I didn't have to do the same at home. Though I have the olive skin and bushy eyebrows that are hallmark of many Greeks, I imagined myself a ginger-haired Nancy Drew, not a Nitsa Demetrakopoulos or Nana Diamantidis or some other long name I'd never find in a Judy Bloom book. But then came the first summer I traveled to Greece as a teenager. I was a junior in high school. When I stepped off the plane, 
a dry, hot blast of Greek summer air, and an important realization hit me. The pilot had been Greek. The flight attendants were Greek. The people in baggage claim were Greek. The doctor who'd been sitting next to me was Greek, and so were the beautiful children racing around the concourse. Everywhere I looked, Greeks. Many of them had my skin color, my thick, dark hair. And when I got to the town where my mother had grown up and sat down with my female cousins, I realized we all had the same body type, the same intense way of gesticulating while we spoke, the same rising tone in our voices when we were excited, which, even in New York, I was told, bordered on obnoxious. I had the epiphany that many Americans do when they visit the countries of their ancestors. I was part of a tribe. Ignore it though I might, my Greek genes ran strong. It set me apart from middle America, from the fair-skinned girls I watch on TV or read about in books. I was distinct. I could be different from the other girls. I was Greek. My people were the creators of democracy, for Pete's sake. From that time on, I became a sucker for all things Greek. My appetite for Greek food, nearly non-existent as a child, developed into a full-blown obsession. Grilled octopus with lemon, fish slathered in garlic with the head still on, hot pita bread laden with tzatziki, souvlaki covered in oregano. Just saying these words is giving me a hunger headache. And give me two tinkling bars of good bazooki playing, followed by a plaintive, throaty Greek voice, and I'm a blubbering mess. Oh, my homeland that I never knew. How nostalgic I am now for it, at once so foreign and yet so familiar. When I returned from that trip to Greece, a friend dared me to sit on my hands through an entire social studies class. I couldn't do it longer than ten minutes. I felt like no one could hear me without my hands punctuating my words. My friend smiled at me in sympathy. Well, there's nothing you can do, she said. You're a Greek girl. Ne, ime. Yes, I am. Nina Habib Spencer is part Greek and proud of it. She's also the author of Raising Riverdale, a column in the Riverdale Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Missed an episode of Cityscape? Never fear. Archives of Cityscape are available at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter for all of your Cityscape news. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Baldarki. My thanks to senior producer Andrea McCrary and producer Morlene Chin. Opa, 